Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton-Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guest navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned with who they are and what they want. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Truer Love Stories in 2023. OMG, can I just say that time is a flying. And I hope you all had lovely holidays filled with people you love who bring you joy and are ready to start this fresh new year and are looking forward to manifesting your deepest desires this year. And by the way, when I say manifest, I really mean create or bring into existence or birth, really whatever word feels most aligned with you, that's what I'm saying when I say manifest. But what the word manifestation really means to me when I use it is that we're being intentional about merging our internal world with our external world. It means we're taking responsibility for the cause and effect relationship between those two things. And that we're taking that vision we hold for ourselves and our future and distilling it down into actionable habits, actions, and beliefs in order to create the life we really want. And we can only do that when we feel that we're deserving of it, which is why so much of this podcast and what we talk about here is about our self-worth and what that means and looks like in the real world and how we can, in a very grounded, realistic, psychologically based way, learn to get to the root of the beliefs that we hold about ourselves that get in the way of manifesting what we really want and showing our subconscious that those beliefs are actually not true. That in fact, at our core, we are inherently deserving and worthy of love in the same way that we believe that every baby is inherently deserving and worthy of love. And we may have had experiences in our past that made us think differently, and that's why we're here, to undo those experiences and reconnect to our inherent worth. And one really great way of doing this is by listening to other people's stories and experiences and realizing that we can relate to them and that if they can shift their inner world so that it causes positive change in their outer world, so can we, and so can you. So I wanna kick off this year of truer love stories on a note of hope. This is my theme for the year. In fact, we just had a really awesome New Year's manifestation circle for this very purpose. And it was really beautiful. And I think everyone got a lot out of it. 
And it's a tradition I'd like to continue in the coming years because when we take actionable steps towards a goal, towards something we want, we create hope. Even the smallest step towards what we want moves us into hope. And hope is everything, literally everything, especially when it comes to looking for love and creating love. And I've been really inspired by this idea of hope ever since reading Brene Brown's newest book, Atlas of the Heart, which I highly recommend, where she explains that hope isn't an emotion, but a way of thinking. And she explains that this is based on positive psychologist C.R. Rick Snyder's research. And I'm actually going to read the quote for you from her book because it's that good. She says, hope is not an emotion. It's a way of thinking or a cognitive process. Emotions play a supporting role, but hope is really a thought process made up of what Snyder calls a trilogy of goals, pathways, and agency. In very simple terms, hope happens when we have the ability to set realistic goals. I know where I want to go. We are able to figure out how to achieve those goals, including the ability to stay flexible and develop alternative routes. I know how to get there. I'm persistent and I can tolerate disappointment and try again. And when we believe in ourselves, I can do this. So I absolutely love this idea because hope so often seems like this elusive thing that can be so hard to hold on to, especially when things get tough or when our deep-seated beliefs about ourselves or our ego tell us we're not deserving of that thing that we're hoping for, of that thing that we really want. But what this means, that hope is a thought process rather than an emotion, is that we can create hope. We have the power to create our own hope by having a clear goal and having a plan to reach that goal. So I want you to think for a second about a goal that you have worked towards and how having that goal and then a plan to reach that goal affected you and how that compares to when you've had something that's really more of a wish or a fantasy. Because a wish or a fantasy is not grounded by a plan, right? A goal is grounded by a plan. And that's hope. And it's hope because we can see a way to get there. And when we can see a way to get there, we start to believe that it's really possible. And we can't manifest anything if we don't truly believe it's possible. Our subconscious actually won't let us manifest something if we don't believe it's possible. This is why so much of the work I do with my clients is around giving them hope. I talk to so many people who are hopeless about love every day, and it's so disheartening. I mean, dating can feel so defeating and so much harder than it has to be, and it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole of it's never going to happen for me and I just can't connect with anyone or maybe I'm just not meant to be in a relationship and on and on and on. 
and we have these beliefs every single day and we're repeating them to ourselves on a daily basis, whether it's subconscious or whether it's conscious. And these thoughts are truly your greatest barrier to love, truly, because they make you give up on hope and stop trying. So I like to think that my work, my coaching program, my Facebook group, this podcast, all the places that I coach and teach are giving people hope, are giving people a way to go about reaching their goal of finding someone to love and value and who loves and values them back. And their goal of finding someone to spend the rest of their life with and having a partner to have through thick and thin, your person, your BFF, right? Like, I want to give people that hope that it is possible for you. And I know it can sound like a bit of an odd thing to think of love as a goal because it's not an achievement in the same kind of way as having a work goal or a financial goal or a goal to lose weight. A relationship is not an achievement because we're not looking to prove ourselves by getting one. But being able to say aloud that it's something you want and want to work towards makes it a goal. And there are steps that can help you achieve it. And in that way, I do believe that what I do is creating hope. So in that vein, this episode is an extension of that hope. I'm interviewing a past client of mine who has a fearful avoidant attachment style, which again is a mix of both anxious and avoidant styles. And she was really struggling when it came to love. And let me just say that she is a catch. Like she is just a really wonderful, lovely, intelligent, beautiful human on every level. And yet even she was struggling when it came to love. But through our work together, she made some significant shifts in her thinking and her way that she approached love and dating. And now she's in a really solid relationship with someone who she sees a future with. So I'm super excited to share her story with you today so that you can start off the new year with some hope so that you can make that shift from being a hopeless romantic to being a hopeful romantic. So on that note, let's hear her story. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. And I am really excited for our guests to hear your story today. You were a client of mine. Lots happened since then. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to really, you know, it's the new year and I know everyone's getting their resolutions in order, their goals, the things they really, you know, want to achieve, getting a little closer to their dreams. And I would love to inspire some hope in everyone. As you know, from personal experience, dating can be so frustrating and just hard to, I think, want to keep going mm-hmm. when you've had negative experiences. And I'm always telling people, just be patient, don't give up. You know, really all the things you hear when you're trying to achieve anything that's meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're feeling just like heartbroken constantly and hurt, it's so easy to lose sight of wanting to try, right? 
And so I love seeing you and your new boyfriend. You're now in a relationship that seems pretty serious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, but also really fun. Like I love seeing you guys on Instagram and you just always look like you're having a good time and just really enjoying each other's company. Is that, would you say that's yeah, accurate? That's very fair. Yeah. And that you just have like, you can tell you're close, you know, yes. that like you're close and, and I know that's what everyone wants, right? Connection, closeness, a companion. Yes. And, just best yeah. friends, right? <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Everyone's looking for their best friend for life. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. And so I would love to take people kind of back through your experience and why, you know, remind them why they shouldn't give up also. And so if you could kind of, you know, start off with telling us a bit about, you know, what your past relationships looked like prior to working with me, because I think I was your first relationship coach. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Or dating coach, rather a little bit of both. And what your experiences were in dating and what motivated you to seek me out? Yeah. Happy to jump in. So I, it's so funny because I think I actually, it was part of my end of year reflection in 2020. It was a really hard year going into 2021. And I just had this weird moment of realization. And I had recently been sort of not necessarily ghosted, but sort of suddenly someone that I had been seeing for a couple of dates broke up with me and it felt like it was out of the blue because it felt like this person had come on really strong and it felt like it had a lot of exciting potential. And then out of the sudden, you know, I get that text and your heart kind of sinks where it's like, you know, this just isn't feeling right or I'm busy. And I had this moment of realization where I thought to myself, I'm the common denominator here in all of these relationships. Right. And I think before I had always thought, you know, you know, maybe it was, that other person, or maybe it was just a string of bad luck. And I had to have a real moment of reflection to realize that clearly there was something that I was doing wrong here, right? I was picking the wrong partners, potentially. I was maybe not heeding some warning signs, or I just wasn't approaching dating with the right strategy and framework almost. And I think that sounds weird to say in a way, but I think there are ways to approach dating for either from a mindset perspective or even how, um, you know, we talked about dating multiple people, right? There's certain things that you can do to set yourself up for success. And I had been listening to a lot of podcasts on dating relationships. I had just read the book Attached. And so I was starting to learn a bit more about myself (laughs) throughout this process. And so it was a real aha moment. And I thought to myself, you know, I think this is something where I might just need a little bit of extra help, right? So someone who can help me with those strategies, someone who can be honest with me when maybe I am not super honest with myself. And yeah, I found your information from a newsletter and it was like one of those aha moments, like, okay, I'm just going to try this out and see how it goes. And it was right before the new year. So right around the same time, which is, you know, two years ago now, which is um, time flies. That is very full circle. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love what you said about realizing you were the common denominator. That's something I say all the time because I had that moment myself in my dating journey where I was like, wait a minute, why do I keep choosing people who I think are different on the outside, but I end up in the same exact situation with them? right? Each time, or like, I'm just repeating these patterns that aren't making sense. And it can be 
challenging to really, you know, take that time to notice that, right? To be, like you said, honest with ourselves enough to say, is it maybe something I'm doing? Because I feel like that can bring up so much shame and like frustration at ourselves and probably hopelessness, I guess, you know, when you realize like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I do think that all transformations start at that place, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're like, okay, this is the reality and I'm not going to judge myself for it, but I am going to acknowledge it and take accountability. And I feel like that's such an empowering moment, you know, because you realize you have more control than maybe you thought about where you're going and what you're doing, right? It's so true. It's yeah. it's that moment of reflection. And, you know, I don't want to say it's a rock bottom moment necessarily, but it is that moment where it's a pivot point. Right. And for me, it was about getting really honest with a the type of people that I was choosing. And I think the second part of that was this feeling of not being chosen, right? Where I would date someone and then I would feel like, why aren't they picking me? I'm I'm great. I think I have all these things to offer and why can't they see it? And I had to have a moment to realize, you know, I clearly am choosing partners who are either not emotionally available or I'm ignoring a ton of red flags up front. And then I'm somehow surprised at this result. And so I had to really try something different, right? I had to maybe get a little bit out of my comfort zone and going back to that strategy piece, try a different dating strategy. It's true. Having a strategy is so important. And I feel like, you know, as someone who I like have been a romantic person my entire life, which I know many women in general are, you know, saying the word strategy, I feel like can sound so like dry, you know, and clinical, but, you know, one of my favorite books, The Four Man Plan, Cindy Lou, she also uses, you know, I know I introduced you to that book too. She uses a, a science and math for her dating strategy. And I know she said in the book that it's like music, right? Music is based Mm -hmm. on math but it still creates all these like big feelings. Right. And so I love that analogy because it's so true because when you have a strategy, it's kind of like having a budget when you are, you know, for money, right. Mm -hmm. Where like, once you have the plan, you have actually more freedom and there's more joy because you have something to rely on instead of just kind of wishy-washy floating about aimlessly, not knowing what's going on. Yeah. And so it's, it's so cool that you fought to do that. And so I always say that I think that, you know, career and dating, there's so many similarities, right? And it's like, well, if you prioritize your career, you're going to usually have a strategy for going about that, whether that's going to school to get the right skill set, right? Studying the right things, researching the companies that you want to apply for, right? Brushing up on your interview skills, right? Like it's like anything in life, having a plan is helpful. Yeah. And so did you find once you started coaching that it did give you that strategy and framework you were looking for? I thought it was super helpful. And, you know, I think going back to what you were saying about how it's so tied in with career, you know, I felt like all of my life I was on this path and I was achieving these things. And if I just worked hard enough, I could achieve that thing. And I really felt like with dating, it was the one part of my life that I just couldn't, no matter, it felt like no matter how much work that I put into it or time and effort I put into it, I couldn't 
achieve that thing that I wanted. And so it it felt frustrating. But I think going back to your question about the strategies that we kind of discussed and employed, I think the first one that was really important to me was a mindset shift, right? From being chosen to being the chooser, right? And so I think that starts with A, getting really clear on what you're looking for. And so everything from writing those things down, but also acknowledging when some of those things might be unrealistic, right? Or maybe some of these qualities that you are looking for actually aren't that important in a long-term partner. So figuring out what are the non-negotiables and what are the things that are truly important to you? Like what are the values that you really need to be looking for? So I think that was the first part was just getting super clear on that piece of it. And then I think the second piece was that mindset shift about, you know, being the chooser, right? So going on dates and we talked a little bit about, I think this is in the book, The Four Man Plan, you know, you're a scientist in those first couple of dates, right? You're taking note of what that person is telling you. You're taking note of how you feel in your body on the date. And I think that was also really important because it's easy to get swept away in, you know, quote unquote, the romance of it or the feeling of that crush. And sometimes you can ignore those little red flags like, oh, you know, he doesn't text me back after a couple of days. Well, maybe I don't like that behavior, right? I want someone who's going to be more consistent with their communication. So that was a big second piece. And then I think the third strategy of it was like, it's okay to date multiple people at once. And it's actually, you should be encouraged to do that because it's very easy to fixate on one person and then to ignore some of those signs that you're seeing because you're kind of invested this time in them. And if you can start with dating a lot of people at once, you know, you can start to A, compare and contrast, and then you're not so emotionally invested in one person if it doesn't work out. So I think those three things were the biggest strategy shifts for myself. I love that. Yeah. All of those are so key. So important being more objective. Right. And that's not to say you can't, it's such an interesting thing because we need our emotions to guide us and how we feel, but then it's learning to pair that emotion with the logic of like, well, this is, is this adding up to what I want is the way this person's making me feel what I know that I actually want. And is it making sense? Yeah. Uh, So totally. And how would you say learning about your attachment style played into it because that was a big piece too, I know for you. Yes. That was a really interesting piece because I had always thought of myself as an anxiously attached person. And I think actually when we, you know, did the initial test and through our initial conversations, I actually discovered that I was fearful and avoidant. So a mixture of the anxious attachment style and the avoidant attachment style. And that was really eye-opening for me because I started to go back and think about either past relationships or even friendships and times when I was demonstrating avoidant behavior, right? Where maybe it was someone who I went on a date with and they were great and they checked all of these boxes, but I would sort of pull away or I would pick at something or, you know, they say get the ick about some very small thing. And I finally started to recognize that some of that was avoidant behavior where maybe I just, I was pulling away for some reason that actually wasn't something meaningful or it wasn't necessarily a a surefire reason why I should be pulling away. I was kind of making up these excuses, if you will. And then the anxious piece, I think always felt very true to me. And so I think it was 
that moment of discovery of recognizing like as an, a more anxiously attached person, I was probably choosing partners who were more avoidant. And so you just get stuck in this, you know, loop of that anxious avoidant trap that they talk about where the more someone pulls away, the more anxious you feel and, and the more you try and, you know, overexert yourself to kind of win that person back or engage in protest behaviors. That was very <laughs> accurate. I was formed. I love it. The protest behaviors rocked my world. I was like, oh, yes, I, I have given, you know, someone a, a silent treatment on text message for a few days and instead of communicating my needs. And that was really eye opening. Yeah. PB, as I call it, will change your life. Yes. When you realize what you're doing, like a hundred percent. Cool. Well, what would you say now that you are in a healthy relationship where you're getting, I'm guessing more of your needs met, like what really stands out to you as feeling different in this relationship than in anything you were in before this? I think it all comes down to feeling very safe about communicating your needs. And it's so funny because a couple months ago, my partner and I, we actually started working with a couples counselor because there were just, you know, we were navigating some really big life changes, moving in together, switching jobs. And I think we just needed that extra help. And in our very first session, she said, you know, you can communicate what you need and, and ask your partner for that thing, whether it's, I just need a hug right now, or I just need reassurance. And it's just that reminder for me that it's such a light bulb moment and it seems so simple, but I think so often we don't think about, you know, you can just ask for that of your partner. And I think when you find the right partner and a secure partner, you can ask for those things and they'll give that to you. Right. And even if that means compromising something on their end and you would do the same for them. And I don't think I ever felt safe in other relationships to ask for those things. I always felt like I was going to be seen as being needy or being a burden, or it would kind of push that person away. And to be honest, I was probably picking partners that would be pushed away by those things. And so it really comes down to like picking those secure partners and being able to communicate those things up front. And, you know, I think we started out just with a really solid friendship too. And I think that also makes a big difference. I was going to ask about that. Can you take us through a little bit like how you met and what it was like when you first met? Yeah. So we actually met at a work event. So I was living in LA, he was living in Arizona. And so our company had this big director's offsite and it was sort of a field day exercise. So we randomly happened to be on the same team and he was the team captain. So he was responsible for choosing teams. And so I think he had heard of my name and kind of knew who I was through a mutual friend. And so we sort of ended up on the same team. And to this day, he won't reveal it, but I'm pretty sure he chose for us to be on that same (laughs) team, which ended up working out. And so we had a great time at this field day exercise. We ended up just grabbing lunch, the two of us after, and it just felt very friendly, but it was one of those things where right away it, it sort of just clicked and it was very comfortable but it was still in a work context. So I was really careful. I I didn't really know how to navigate that situation. So I just kept it very cordial, but you could kind of tell when there's a little bit of a a spark there. And I remember asking another coworker afterwards, you know, what's the deal with this guy? Is he single? That sort of thing. And after that weekend, we just kept in touch uh, on text message. And I sort of came up with an excuse to be back in Arizona around the new year last year. And we ended up meeting up 
again. And it was definitely more of a, a date situation that time. And from then on, you know, I think we just really hit it off. We were talking every single day. And then we ended up going on a trip together, a couple of little road trips here and there, but we went on a trip together to Colorado to go skiing together. And that's after that trip, he asked me to be his girlfriend. So. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's so great. It's such a difference when you can be friends with someone first. Yes. And really just feel like you enjoy them. It sounds like it was easy for you from the beginning. Like there was not any anxiety about, is he going to text me or How does he feel? Like, did you have any of that come up in the beginning with him? There was no anxiety about, is he going to text me? We were in constant communication. You know, even early on, I remember he would, you know, FaceTime me over the holidays and we would just catch up or we would call each other on the phone and end up talking for two hours. And it was so funny because I was actually in a somewhat long distance relationship right before that. And I remember it was like pulling teeth to try and get this guy on the phone. Like I would have to text him days in advance. Hey, can we catch up this weekend? Right. And it just felt really hard. And in this relationship, it felt like, oh no, this person wants to call me and catch up at the end of his day. And we just end up talking for a long time and it doesn't feel like a burden, right. Or that I'm asking something of that person's time. And to me, that felt like such a big shift. 100%. I feel like it's such a difference when it's just, there's, there's an ease sometimes, you know, when you get along with someone, when it feels good and that you already can sense that they're interested, right? You, you don't want to have to convince anyone. You want them to want to do it themselves, you know? And, and I'm guessing that you felt comfortable enough in that situation because he'd been reaching out to reach out when you wanted, right? Exactly. It felt very reciprocal. And I think I kept, I keep going back to that word because what was different about this relationship, it just made me realize in in pretty much all of my other relationships, it never really felt reciprocal. It always felt like I was maybe putting in more work and I was kind of dragging this person along into the next phase. And with this relationship from the beginning, it felt very much like the energy was matched in terms of communication, in terms of making future plans, in terms of, you know, because we were long distance, even investing in, you know, plane trips and time and weekends to go see each other at the beginning. And so that was, that was a big distinction for me. Yeah. Because he was totally willing to do all of those things. Exactly. That's so nice. And is he like someone who you would have imagined yourself with previously? I think so. And what's so funny is that at his core, he is just such a nice person and such a nice guy. And I think I I think I always wanted that for myself. But when I reflect on it, the people that I chose in past relationships maybe were a little bit standoffish, maybe weren't you know, if they met my friends, my friends maybe wouldn't say, oh, that guy's such a good guy and and rave about them. Maybe they were a little bit more of a bad boy, I guess. And so that has felt just very different in terms of his personality. And I just appreciate that so much more now. And I think, you know, if I talk to my friends about it, they're they're like, thank goodness. And my family, especially, they're all like, wow, thank goodness. You finally chose a nice guy. 100%. They do say nice guys finish last for a reason, you know? And I do think that kindness is like the most underrated quality. Yes. Right? It's like the most important and yet not anything we ever really pay attention to, I feel like. Yeah, it's so true. I'm also a huge fan of 
Logan Yuri's book, How to Not Die Alone, which I also read. And she has a whole chapter on the fact that you don't want a prom date, you want a partner, right? A life partner. And so sometimes the things that we're seeking out in quote unquote, that prom date is maybe someone who is potentially flashy, who's like the life of the party, that sort of thing. And I think what we overlook is like, is this person going to like hold your purse for you, right? When you go to the bathroom, are they going to be too cool, right? Are they going to be there with you in hard times? Are they going to be really kind to other people? And there's like things that you can do early on when you're dating to kind of like look for those things and assess that, right? Like how do they treat their friends? Do they have consistent friends from, you know, different chapters of their life? Because I think that shows loyalty. You know, are they really nice to your friends? Do they like hanging out with your friends? And so all of those things I started to notice and that also made a big difference difference. Yeah. 100%. It's so nice when someone can get along with your friends and family. Like that alone is like such a big factor because they know you best, right? Yes. I'm guessing if you're listening to this episode, you have a deep desire for a solid, secure, loving, healthy relationship and are just not sure how to make that happen. You've tried everything from matchmaking to dating apps to therapy and still can't figure out how to attract a partner you connect with who is in it for the long run. You're successful in your career and are able to manifest virtually anything you want, except for love. And you are so ready to meet someone on your level who is open and willing to bring as much to the table as you do. Let me assure you right now that what you're asking for isn't too much. And it's not because you aren't meant for love. It's simply because you've had some experiences in the past that have limited your ability to believe that love is possible for you, which is why I'm inviting you to be a part of my free, exclusive Facebook group, Manifesting Secure Love, where I teach successful single women just like you how to use your attachment style to attract that committed, loving partner you've been dreaming of and prove to yourself once and for all that love is possible for you. Join me each Monday for my Facebook Live, Manifesting Mondays, where I'll provide you with practical tools and advice for turning your dream into a reality. If you're sick of feeling confused, disheartened, and hopeless about love, and you know with every fiber of your being that a loving partner is really what you want, then pause this episode right now and hop on over to Facebook and request to join. There's no time like the present to start manifesting secure love. I can't wait to see you there. Do you think that there's anything that you used to think you really wanted in someone that he doesn't have, but that doesn't even phase you anymore? It's so interesting to think about because I I truly think when I wrote down my like manifestation of a person that I wanted in life, like I do think that he needs a lot of those qualities from a values perspective. I mean, there is there are some funny things like when we first started dating, he was kind of in transition. So he didn't even have a headboard. Right. And there's some girls right now who you would go into a guy's room and it's like, oh, they have no furniture. They don't even have a headboard, you know, a little bit disorganized. And you think of you look at that. And I even had to have a moment with myself where I was like, oh, is this person really ready to be in a relationship, but I think I just came to realize like that is such a small part of who someone is. And, you know, we've been able to kind of navigate getting more organized and getting proper furniture and that sort of thing together in yes. later chapters. <laughs> totally. I, 
I think we do really look for those little things sometimes, like thinking that those things like about their lifestyle in particular are, you know, indicative of who they are and if they're ready to be in a relationship, right? Like, is their house clean? Like you said, do they have furniture? But, you know, nine times out of 10, a guy's bathroom is not going to be as clean as a woman's (laughs) bathroom. And, and so it is like, like you said, looking at the core values and the things that are permanent, right? Like someone's personality is likely not going to change. Things that are important to them are likely not going to change, right? Their religion, generally, if they want to have kids, although people can go in and out of that sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at the really important core things about who they are, their character Mm -hmm. versus lifestyle stuff like that could change. I mean, even someone not having the perfect body, right? Like people can lose weight. People can be inspired to work out more. People can learn to eat healthy. People can stop smoking cigarettes, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's so many things that like we hold on to as though they're, you know, the Bible Mm -hmm. in dating when they're really not even near as important as who someone is and their character traits and how they treat you, right? Like that's really what it comes down to is are they... Maybe they their bachelor pad doesn't look like they're ready for a relationship, but if he's texting and calling you all the time and making the effort to see you interstate, especially, yeah, you know, open to conversations about the future, asking you to be his girlfriend, like all of those signs point to yes, he's ready, right? And then the lifestyle stuff, you guys then are able to take those things and like make one life, you know, blending your different likes and dislikes and habits together and. How's exactly. that transition been for you? Doing yeah, that? it's so interesting too because he always says like, "Oh, you make me a better person," and I think he appreciates that. You know, in some ways, he feels like there's been an upgrade to his life, whether it's in fashion choices or furniture choices. But I think in the same way, like he's made me a much better person too. I've learned a lot about you know patience and learning a lot about myself in this process mm-hmm. and i think it's challenging because i am such a perfectionist and having been single for so long there's a lot of things in my life that i like to control and this exercise of living together has been a real lesson for me in having to give up some of that control and having to realize where does that control come from? Like control and perfectionism for me is a way to like counterbalance my anxiety. It's like a a thing that I can use when I start to feel anxious. And I had to realize, and this actually came up in our therapy session this week where the therapist mentioned to me, you don't have to be perfect all the time. And just like you wouldn't expect someone to think of you as perfect all the time, you don't have to think of your partner has to be perfect all the time. And that was a really big unlock for me and something that I think is just a continuous practice of not exerting my own perfectionism on the people in my life at at every single moment. And it can be a challenge. 100%. And that is such a part of anxiety is the need for control. And we seek those, you know, forms of control when we feel out of control because of our anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. But as you were talking, I was thinking about how the goal is, is to replace that uncertainty with trust, right? And Mm -hmm. when you trust somebody, you trust their going to be a safe place for you. You trust their opinions, right? You trust them to be there when you need them. I feel like you kind of relax into that trust and then the need to control things fades away, Mm -hmm. right? Because I actually know a lot of my current clients who are still at that stage of like starting to look for people. Just the other day, someone was saying to me like how 
afraid they are of like, oh, I'm going to have to share my space with someone. I'm going to have to share mm-hmm. my life with someone. Right. And especially when you don't have that person in front of you in that moment in time, it can feel like this just like weird, vague idea. But, you know, when you actually have a person who you have that trust with and that friendship with, it's like you want to navigate those things together and have those conversations, even when they're challenging. Would you say that even the hard conversations and you enjoy with him? Yeah, I, I think that's so true. I mean, I think about at the end of the day, we both feel like we are the person that we love to come home to, right? There is that piece of comfort. And even in the chaos of starting new jobs and moving and navigating where each other's things go, like we still have that friendship and we still have that like almost calming. Like I know I sleep better when we're together because it's just like he calms my nervous system in a way because there is that trust there. And so even when there are, you know, we both say there's moments and times where we might be prickly, where I might be hangry or he might be tired, (laughs) right? Like those moments do come up and we don't always navigate them perfectly in the moment. But I think we both can recognize that like what we appreciate about the relationship is so much bigger than those moments. And I think we're trying to find better ways to communicate even through those prickly moments, whether it's like calling a timeout and coming back to it or just recognizing like, okay, we're in a bad mood because of X, Y, or Z thing. Like, let's just approach this conversation in like a more loving way. Totally. Totally. And I think that's what really strengthens the relationship is you know, continuing to get to know someone and continuing to navigate new situations with them. It's like you start seeing new layers of who they are and new layers of yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that discovery with each other as, you know, as you're doing it at the same time and experiencing it together really bonds you. And when you have one of those conversations that feels prickly or you don't like, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, trusting that that person's still going to love me even when I'm not being perfect and I'm showing my prickly side right now, you know? And that's an amazing feeling to fully be yourself. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to vulnerability. And I know that's something that I struggle with. I still struggle with. And I think what I realized over time is that that vulnerability does really breed that closeness with your partner, right? And when you have those vulnerable moments, either from like a you were a brat and you had like a hissy fit in the grocery store for something like that is a vulnerable moment. Or when you come to your partner and say like, Hey, I'm not feeling great about my body today. And I need you to tell me that I look good or whatever it is. Like those vulnerable moments end up making you closer to your partner. And I think I was always afraid that in past relationships that those vulnerable moments would lead my partner to kind of push me away or reject me because I wasn't perfect. And so that has been like a big realization and something that like, I'm still working on. It's not perfect. (laughs) Yeah. It's ongoing. Absolutely. I love that so much. So my question to you too, is I know that when we first started working together, one of your concerns was that, like you said, you'd always been really good in school. You'd always been climbing the ladder towards this career of yours. That's where a lot of your focus had been. And you felt like you had a lot of masculine traits or masculine energy and you wanted to kind of dip into your feminine. And I'm curious now that you're in a relationship with someone, like, has that ever been an issue or affected your relationship at all? It's so interesting because I really thought about it so much when I was dating, I thought about my masculine energy in terms of like, I think it goes back to that control piece. 
And I don't think about that balance as much now in this healthy relationship, because I do think that we do sort of balance each other out. And I do think that he has this like assertiveness, but like this quiet and subtle assertiveness about him that can help balance out if I'm sort of in my masculine energy where, okay, like he has control of this situation. I can take a bit more of a backseat or I can be that like nurturing side of myself, where I can bring out almost that caretaker when he's had a, a tough day. I can kind of be that sounding board for him or even, you know, cooking for each other. I can bring out those other qualities that I don't think I really got to unlock for myself when I was single and dating. So I do think it comes up, but it comes up in a little bit of a different way. I think when I was dating, I felt like my feminine energy was maybe more of like the sexy or sensual or like demure side that I had to try and bring out. And now I think of it, my feminine side as a bit more of like that nurturing caretaker side, not necessarily as someone who's like taking the the backseat or being more demure to your partner, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think so much of the time we think that you either have masculine energy or you have feminine energy and we connect it so much to our gender, Mm -hmm. right? When it's really, we all have some masculine and some feminine energy and it's just having a balance of those things and having a balance within the relationship. So I'm curious, like, you know, he's brought out, it sounds like more of your feminine side because maybe you trust him enough Mm -hmm. to show that. And, you know, he's created that safe space for you. Would you say though, that like, you feel like you could still be your kind of intellectual academic masculine side with him too? Yeah, absolutely. I think what I appreciate about him is that he appreciates that side of me that wants to achieve, that wants to, you know, do well at work, that wants to kind of climb that corporate ladder. And and I think we we recognize that about each other because he also is that way. And I think we appreciate that about each other. So we can have those conversations where maybe we're more in our masculine energy about how do you navigate this work situation or, you know, how do you ask for that raise, that sort of thing. But at the same time, I think we both have a mix too of that feminine energy, which I, I think of now as more of that like nurturing side. And we both have it in each other. He's a cancer. So he's a water sign and I'm a fire sign. And so I think it helps balance that out in a nice way because he can also tap into that side too. Yeah. That's so awesome. And what would you say, you know, when thinking about the future, like I know that that can be such a kind of hot button topic, especially for us anxiously attached women who are just like, always looking to the future, you know, wanting to know, like, is he there with me? Are we getting there? You know, do you feel like you worry about that at all or think about that? Or do you feel like you're a little more present now within this relationship? Yeah. I mean, I think that side of me never goes away. Right. I think Unfortunately, as a woman, I know I can speak for myself. I I do feel like sometimes there's pressure of a timeline, right? Especially when you start to see all your friends get married and have kids, it's easy to feel like, oh, am I behind, right? Some, Some arbitrary race, you feel like you're behind. And, you know, that's a big reason why we actually started working with, you know, a a couple's counselor is that there was a moment in time where, you know, I think he maybe felt like this relationship was moving really fast and he maybe felt a little bit 
anxious about that future. Like there was a lot of pressure being put on him about what that next step looks like. And at first it was just the conversation about living together, but in his mind, it went from like living together to getting married, to having babies all in one breath almost. It felt like that decision, he talks about it, set off like almost like a domino effect, right? In his mind. And I think for me in sort of our conversations and navigating this tough topic with our therapist, a lot of what I had to realize is that there, I have to kind of calm down a little bit on putting pressure on this timeline, I think, and just really be appreciative of like what chapter we're in. Right. And, and really taking the learnings out of that chapter and just like trying to not think about those next 10 steps. Right. And just being more appreciative in the moment. And I think now that we've navigated living together, I do feel a lot more that way where I I feel like I can really appreciate, okay, we did take this big step. We're finally now in the same city, which has also been a really big unlock for our relationship. And so I I can be a little bit more present in that because we've at least taken this first step, right? And I feel like it's brought us closer and it's helped us navigate hard conversations. And I really think of it as like, we're building the foundation, right? For the future. And I think if you rush that, you're going to end up with like a not great house. (laughs) So I'm really trying to like, okay, how do we really build the most solid foundation that we can? And I think we're, we're taking those steps to do that, which feels good. I love that so much. Yes. And I think that so much of the time we're forward thinking and it's interesting when you are in a stable, healthy relationship that like you get to a certain point where like those next steps are probably inevitable at a certain point, right? But they're only inevitable based on the present moment and what's going on there. How are you connecting? How are you navigating the day-to-day stuff? So it's almost like a mindset shift from forward think- thinking, which is very outward thinking mm-hmm. to inward thinking. Yeah. You know, how are we navigating this? conversation about this particular topic, you know, Mm -hmm. and then this other topic comes up and each time that you are able to get through that conversation and feel closer and feel better, well, the closer you get to that future, right? But women, we're just very like, we see the future and we want it now. (laughs) And, and we do have an actual timeline to an extent, right? But quickest way to get there is by being present and enjoying, like you said, I love that, like really relishing in and enjoying the chapter you're in now. You know, it's funny because I look back and, you know, my parents talk about a time before any of us were born. And sometimes mm-hmm. they'll talk about that time. And it's so weird to me to think that I didn't know my parents at that stage in their life, you know? Mm-hmm. And to think that like that was their time of getting, not getting to know each other. I mean, they were together like 11 years before I was born, but really falling in love and building Mm -hmm. the foundation of their relationship. And, you know, that little apartment that they lived in together that they'll look back on as such a special place that they talk about sometimes, you know, how little it was and how they didn't have this or they didn't have that, but they were building a life together, you know, and I really try to myself living in a little house, you know, where I like, as you just, you know, yourself living with someone now constantly want more space, you know, Mm -hmm. and it makes us want to, think about the future and the house we're going to get and, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. But that there is going to be a time where we look back on this chapter romantically and nostalgically, you know, mm-hmm. and likely we'll miss it when you have kids and the busy life and everything. Right. So it's true. We do have to really be grateful for wherever we're at right now. I totally agree. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I, I love that way of, of thinking about, you know, years from now, if you, I always think to myself at times, if you could skip to the end of the book, right. And just know what was going to happen, you would enjoy this part a lot more. And so I think I just have to remind myself that like, no matter how it ends right at the end, it's just about enjoying this time now. Yeah. And enjoy the journey, not the destination. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what would you say either to your younger self that Mm. you didn't know or kind of to women now who maybe could relate to that younger self, not knowing if you'd ever find someone having all these, you know, limiting beliefs about what you were deserving of. Right. Mm. What, what would you say to them? I would say to always remember that you are the chooser, right? Like you are not waiting. You're not waiting to be chosen. You're not waiting for that Prince Charming, right? You are choosing. And I think part of that means being really clear about what it is that you're looking for and being really intentional and being, and at times being quick to cut off people that are not giving you the respect that you deserve. I think I, if I could go back, there were so many times where I wish, man, I would have gotten, you know, months or weeks or even days back of my life to go find that right person. If I had just cut that thing off, that wasn't serving me. And so I think when we're waiting to be chosen, a lot of times we hang on to things that just aren't working for us. And, you know, there were things that I was friends with benefit situations that I was in for years. And I just wish I would have, you know, it was all part of the journey to get here, I guess. But I do wish that for my own sanity, it would have been better to just end those things earlier. Yeah. Well, it is a double-edged sword because on one end, it's like, God, I wish I hadn't suffered like that and wasted that time. But it is true that had you not, you probably wouldn't necessarily be in this particular relationship now. It's true. Right. Like, would you have even met him? And would you appreciate him the way you do had you not experienced all of those other, you know, frogs, if you will? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it does make me appreciate, you know, the person I'm with so much more now. It was a mindset shift to look for that nice guy. and, And now I'm so happy that I did. So, yeah, I guess I wouldn't trade that path now for anything, but it probably just would have saved me a little bit of heartache at the time. Right, right. But I think that you called it out, too. It's it's that respect factor. Right. And I think that if you can keep that in your mind as you're dating, like I deserve to be respected and whatever that means to me, whether it means responding to my text, you know, reciprocating making an effort to see me, you know, or even just validating my feelings when I say I have a feeling and you can empathize with that, right? Yes. It's just respecting who I am. I feel like it would just make dating so much easier if we could think of it that way. Because I think we really, at least I used to, and it sounds like you did too, like gave passes to people in dating that we wouldn't ever do to someone who was our friend or like we would never put up with a friend treating us with that way or someone, even a stranger treating us that way sometimes. Right. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think to add to that, you know, don't be afraid to communicate your needs early and even often, right. Because you will get a response that will be very indicative of your future or not with that person. And I think I wish I had known that instead of that protest behavior or that waiting around, I wish I would have just said, Hey, like, 
I prefer to date someone who's going to be more communicative with me, or, you know, I, I want to be able to see you more frequently. And if that person doesn't respond well to that, then that's not a person you should be with anyway. And I think sometimes we're so scared to put that out there because it is a vulnerable moment to ask for that, but it will get you to the end result that you want so much faster. I think. A hundred percent. I actually, since we've worked together, I've kind of developed what I've called the scientific method of love, Mm, which is basically a framework for exactly what you're talking about. Because, you know, the scientific method, it's like, you know, choose a question that you want to ask that you want the answer to, right? And then you have to hypothesize about what the answer might be. And then you test it, you analyze the data and you come to a conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. And this is again, in the effort to make it more objective for people, right? Yes. And so if you think about it that way, that every time you express a need, it's a test, it's an experiment, right? And you always want to assume that the person can meet your need. And so you express your need and, you know, whatever they do, when you analyze it, did they meet your need or not? If they didn't, well, then you can experiment again. But if you experiment two, three times and you keep getting the same answer and they're not meeting your need, that is telling you they are not the right person for me, right? And so if you don't express your need, you're never going to be able to arrive at that conclusion, right? You won't have enough evidence from the the test to know for sure that they're not the right person, right? Yes. And uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's such an insightful bit of advice that I love. And just just don't wait to express your needs. I think that that people think that, well, I need to wait to say who I really am to when I, you know, once I know they're really into me. Right. Once I feel like we're really, you know, in a real relationship, it's like the only way they're going to want to be in a real relationship with you and that you're going to know that you want to be in one with them is to see how they respond to you expressing your needs. Right. That's so true. I I love that scientific approach because, yeah, it goes back to that strategy or that framework. And yeah, I, I think we are afraid to express those needs because we're afraid of how that person's going to respond. And yeah, we just can't be afraid. <laughs> we can't be afraid of that moment. You're only going to find out sooner, right? It, better to do it now than to have wasted days, months, et right. cetera, on someone who can't yeah. be your needs. That is, that is where people waste their time the most. Yes. You know, they think I don't, you know, and that's such a thing I hear echoed all the time. I don't want to use the app. I don't want to waste my time on people. But then if you're not bringing up your needs, you're doing it to yourself. It's true. And I think we also think that like that crush moment is so rare. Like I think I thought that for myself, Oh, if I like this person or if I'm attracted to them, that feels so rare because when you're going on this sea of dating app, meet meet and greets, there's going to be a lot of people who you're not even necessarily attracted to or who you feel like you can't really hold a conversation with. Right. And so you meet that one, when you find that person who you think meets that that minimum threshold, if you will, yes. right? you're like, oh, well, this feels so rare. And yeah, in, in some ways it is a numbers game, but don't let that feeling obscure all of the, all of the other signs, right? Because if they're not meeting your needs, that's so much more important than that initial spark, I think, or that initial sense of attraction. And I think you will find that person who meets all of the above, right? meets your minimums and and so much more. And and going back to that numbers game, it's a little bit of, it takes time and and you have to meet a lot of people sometimes to get there. Yeah. And I think that if we can manage our own expectation, Mm -hmm. right. And block out all of the crap that, you know, rom-coms tell us, (laughs) you know, about the meet cute and about just like you find your person and it's magical right away. Right. And just know the reality is that the majority of people are not going to be someone I connect with. Yeah. 
and that's okay. And it's not a waste of time because you never know just going to a work retreat, for instance, you know, when that person's going to show up. But the point is that you have prepared yourself enough to know what you're looking for because you've dated all these other people. And so when that person does come along, it's like, then you're ready to go. You know, something I've been saying a lot lately is we go slow to go fast. Yes. Right. Because yeah, you go slow because you're intentional, you're meeting people slowly, but then when that person's there, it's like, suddenly it just takes off and a year later, you're moving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so true. Like I think in a lot of ways, our relationship did move so quickly because I, I felt like I had dated a lot of people and I really knew what I was looking for. And I think he was in a similar spot in his life too. So yeah, I was able to, yeah, we were able to go slow to go fast. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy that you're in this place and and you've been like smiling the whole time that you've been talking about it. And (laughs) it just, it really feels so genuine. And, you know, I thought from the moment I met you, like I had no doubt that you were going to meet someone. You're such a catch. And and I think it's easy for us to forget that a lot of us are catches. Yes. And and just believing that, you know, I'm worth the weight of the right person. And like you were just saying, like, just because I'm, you know, the minute you find someone that you connect with a little bit, you like hang on for dear life because you don't think someone else is coming along. But I think it is having the confidence enough in yourself to know, no, like, I don't need to settle for how this person's treating me. Right. We think of settling so much as like, they don't look the right way. They don't, you know, have the right job that I want. Right. But you're settling more when you settle for someone not respecting you. Right. So not being willing to settle for someone not respecting you and believing that like, I, I will meet someone because I'm worth it. And knowing that just because you're not meeting them right now, doesn't mean they're not out there, which is such a hard thing when you haven't met them, but you are proof of, we both are proof of, yeah. no, you just got to keep putting yourself out there and just being open to talking to people Yes, and, and know it'll happen. Exactly. I think it goes back to that abundance mindset, right? It's easy to get caught up in, well, there's only, you know, so many men in Los Angeles and how many men are in my dating age. And that means yeah. my dating pool is so small, but like I met someone in a different state. Right. And so I think it's that it's that abundance mindset of, of being like patient with yourself and recognizing that, yes, there is that person out there. I'm very deserving of that person who's right for me. And like, it will it will come, but I also did a ton of the work on myself to get to that point as well. Yeah, exactly. It's both. And I say this all the time, this quote, but it's so true. Oprah says that luck is preparation meeting opportunity. Yes. (laughs) And I think it's the most true in dating, right? We do the self-work, we do the dating to know what we want so that when that opportunity comes and that right person is there, it happens and we're ready. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing your story with everyone and your wisdom. And I'm wishing you just like a beautiful 2023 as you embark on this new chapter with your new guy. Well, thank you so much. And truly thank you, because I I don't know if I would be in the same position without all of the, the work that we did together and all of your help. And so I'm so grateful. And I think back so many times to the things that you would tell me in our sessions. And it's just it's a good constant reminder. That makes me happier than I can explain. So you're very, very welcome. Thank you for listening to the Truer Love Stories podcast produced by me, Taryn Newton-Gill with the help of Guanisha Motley at One Elegant Exec and edited by the amazing Max at Laguna Studios. 
If you'd like to anonymously share your personal love story and have me coach you on air, please email me at hello at truerlove.com. And if you enjoyed listening to today's episode, your support would mean so much. Please make sure to subscribe to the show to get updates on new episodes. And if you wouldn't mind just taking a couple extra minutes to review us on Apple Podcasts, your review goes a long way in getting more ears on our content. I can't wait to have you join me again. So in the meantime, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon.